My name is Pastor Kimmy, and I'm so glad to be here with you tonight. Uh, today, if you're watching with us on Sunday and engaging with us and so excited about what the Holy Spirit is going to do in tonight's message and in our hearts. And uh, so I just, I feel God's presence. Man, I felt his presence in our worship, and I know that he is going to unlock some incredible truths for us. And so, yes, I am in my pajamas. Yes, and they are flannel, and they're very warm. But I want it to be appropriate, of course. And uh, I do have my clothes on underneath as well, you know, just so that you know, uh, being quite appropriate. And I do have a point, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. You see, church, what I think has happened is I think we've gotten comfortable. This couch is actually quite comfortable. And I think that's what happens when we get all comfortable and cushy we get complacent. And I feel like that's kind of what happened with COVID. You know, when COVID first started, it, it was like everyone was told to stay home, stay home, stay home. And I know the introverts that are in my life were like, praise the Lord, introverts unite. They were so excited to have to stay home. And, uh, and us extroverts, well, we were definitely in a bit more of a, of a bind. My husband gladly went to get groceries anytime we needed like anything, like we need salt, he'd go get it. He's definitely an extrovert. And, uh, and we asked you to commit your homes to be a place of worship. And, and this was just a fantastic season because we, we had this physical reminder that church isn't this building, is it? Church is us. Church is me and you and our families. And we re-established worship and church in our homes. And I loved it. I thought it was so fantastic. But then I noticed something happened in the spring. We got complacent. And yep, we put on the pajamas. I was on a dozen Zoom meetings every week, as many of you were, and we were wearing our pajamas, right? Nobody knew from the bottom down it was flannel. Just from the top up, it looked quite nice. And there was this complacency that seemed to set in. And when we started talking in May about reopening services here on location, I was so excited. I was so excited. I couldn't wait to see you all. I couldn't wait to be in worship together. Yet, I got to confess, a little bit of me was like, oh, I got to wear clothes again. <laughs> you know, I got to put the flannel away and I got to actually put on clothes again. And a little bit of me was feeling complacent as well. And it was almost like this complacency virus, I think, that got into our homes and really numbed our emotions. And, and for I think for a lot of us, honestly, we weren't even sitting up in this position. I actually had a dream recently, and I feel like the church and us is in this position. I feel like we're laying down, church. I feel like we're asleep. I feel like complacency has set in to this point where we are so comfortable and so cozy in our flannel that we are asleep on the couch, personally and as a church in Canada. And do you know what happens when you are asleep? You don't have a voice. When you're sleeping, you're not talking to your neighbor. You're not teaching your kids about Jesus. When you're asleep, you have no voice. You're quiet. You're still. 
And I think that's exactly what happened here in Canada. And so about the end of May, beginning of June, I felt like God splashed some water on my face and was like, Kimmy, wake up. Kimmy, it's time for the church to wake up. It's time for us to wake up. And I right away came back to working here at the office because I felt like I needed to be out of my home again. And maybe lots of you don't have that option yet, and that's okay. But for me, it was the step to be able to come out of my home and back into the workplace. It was like coming out because I felt this complacency was just getting hardened and, um, and tempting me, really. There were so many temptations around me. And, and man, I'm pretty good at falling into temptations. I don't know about you guys. You guys are probably way more spiritual and way, you know, stronger when it comes to temptation than me because I can seem to fall into them so easily. And, um, and so I think, okay, if I want to beat temptation, how do I do it? What do I do? Well, I'm going to look to Jesus. Because the word of God says that he was tempted and never sinned. So that's a pretty great standard. That's a pretty great guy to look at to figure out how can I defeat uh, temptation. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to take a look. And today we're going to take a look at the temptations of Jesus. There's three. And we're going to look into the the book of Luke. And we're going to start in chapter 4. So if you have your Bible and want to open it and follow along, we'll also have it on the screen for you. So verse 1 says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. So can you imagine fasting for 40 days? Like, I I pretty much can fast like a meal, you know, and I'm feeling pretty hangry, and my family are giving me granola bars. Uh, One time I fasted for eight days, and um, I, don't, I don't think I was really a nice person during those eight days because fasting is hard. And here Jesus gives us this example that he fasted for 40 days. And he must have been exhausted and so vulnerable. And, you know, for us, I was thinking maybe for, for some of us, like, you know, we're not into fasting for 40 days. And so we don't really know what that feels like. But have you recently found out you don't have a job to go back to and you're feeling that emotional exhaustion and pressure do you have kids at home and you were up six times in the night last night and you're feeling that emotional exhaustion right for some of us it isn't fasting but there's still this exhaustion there's this emotional stuff that's hanging on to us And it's making us vulnerable. So just like Jesus was vulnerable after being tempted, um, sorry, after being in the, in the, the fasting for 40 days, we too can be in this place of vulnerability. And what happens when we're vulnerable is that we don't always turn to the things that we need to. We turn to the things that are comfortable, right? We turn to social media, to movies that we know we shouldn't be watching, to alcohol and drugs and pornography, and we gorge on what satisfies us right now to numb us because that's actually easier than dealing with our emotional exhaustion. And so then what happens again is that we fall asleep, right? We fall asleep again because we've gorged on all of these things to try and satisfy ourselves 
and we unplug and we become complacent. And it was precisely when Jesus was at his most vulnerable place, that's when Satan appeared with his three temptations. And so the first one, it says in verse 3, The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. Now, could Jesus have taken these stones that were before him and turned them into bread? Yes, absolutely. Jesus, fully God, fully man, he totally could have done it. And he didn't need Satan to come and give him the idea. He could have changed his circumstance 39 days ago. He did not need to be in this place of the wilderness. He did not need to be in this temptation. He could have checked. He could have changed the atmosphere of where he is because he is God. He is Jesus. He didn't need Satan to come and to tell him what to do. But he does, and he does it for a reason. To show us that we can overcome temptation too. We can overcome temptation too. And I want you to say that. I want you to say, I can overcome temptation. Go for it. Say, it's not easy. But I can do it. With the power of God in my life. You see, this temptation that Satan is throwing at Jesus right now is the lust of the body. And it's called hedonism. And it's the relentless pursuit of pleasure. Now, now we all know pleasure can be a fantastic thing. I was just cuddling babies like last week. I mean, there's so much pleasure when my, my kids give me hugs, right? There's just so much pleasure and love in that. When we connect with one another, when we sit in a pile of leaves and throw it up in the air, when we snuggle a puppy and watch a movie, pleasure is okay. Pleasure is a good thing. But what happens is that it gets twisted, It gets twisted, and Satan uses it as a temptation, right? So that the pleasure of playing video games now turns into 12 hours, and we've left behind all the responsibility and obligation that we had, right? That temptation, that that pleasure is twisted by a temptation. Or we turn to pornography, or we drink to get drunk, right? Or... Um, we give in to these pleasures um, in these negative and harmful ways. And, and you know what? We could list a whole ton of things. I think if we went around this room, we could all probably see something different. And so that's why it's so important that we don't judge each other, right? Your temptation isn't greater than mine, and mine's not greater than yours. We're all on the equal playing field of temptation. So let's not judge each other's temptation. We all struggle with this. But living happy says that we need to kick temptation to the curb and know God's word. We're vulnerable, yes, but we need to kick temptation to the curb and know God's word. I want you to say that. You can read it right up there. Kick temptation to the curb and know God's word. Church, we're asleep. 
We do not know the word of God the way that we should know the word of God. I do not know the word of God the way that I should. Because when temptation comes, this is my weapon. This is how I fight that battle is with the word of God. And church, we're asleep. We got to wake up and we have got to kick temptation to the curb by knowing God's word. If you're not studying it every single day, get into it. Please. It's the most life-giving, God-breathed time you will ever spend. Get into his word because it's powerful. It's transforming. It's alive. God's word is alive. Now, the second temptation, uh, we're going to go to verse 5, and we're going to read this one together. It says, the devil led him up on a high place and showed him in an instant all of the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me. And I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Somehow, and we don't know how, but somehow Satan shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And it doesn't say how he did it, and it doesn't really matter. Because all that matters is what he proceeds to do. He says, he says, I can give you, I can give you what's been handed over to me. I can give it to whomever I wish, Satan says to Jesus. He just says to him, okay, you just got to do one thing. You just got to bow down to me, Jesus. That's all you got to do. Well, you see, the Bible is so clear. Satan cleverly alludes to it even here that God grants authority. Satan's authority is at best delegated and temporary, and the author of it is God, God himself. And as Jesus answers that God alone is to be worshipped, Satan's trying to mix things up with truth and error to make it sound like Satan has the authority to give all things. You see, this is what Satan does. His promises are lies. He's deceitful. He's the deceptor. He's got some power, but it's been given to him by God the Father. He tries to mix up truth and lies to tempt you and to take you down. And trust me, church, he is out to devour you. That is his goal. He is not nice. He wants to take you down. He wants to distract you, to tempt you, and to pull your attention away from God. And you see, this temptation is all about ego. And do we ever see a whole lot of that in our world? Ego is pride and acting in our own desires, sorry, in our own interests to benefit others, ourselves. Ego means that we're self-absorbed, self-interested, self-centered, selfish. It's all about us. And you see, just like the first temptation, Jesus does the exact same thing. He doesn't get into some fight with Satan. He shuts him down with the word of God. And Jesus answers, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
And this is a quote from Deuteronomy 6.13. So man, go and look it up. Jesus is quoting scripture. He is fighting the battle with scripture. You see, it says to worship God and to serve him only. And so how do we defeat temptation and live God-filled, happy lives? Well, living happy says that we take off the grave clothes. And this is such an incredible example. I just found this the other day of taking off the grave clothes. So after Jesus had died, um, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, they, they take Jesus' body down from the cross, and they have about 75 pounds of, of spices and aloes and myrrh, and they take all of these, and you can find this, this uh, story in John chapter 19. And so they take all of these spices and, and aloes, and they make a mixture, and they actually take Jesus' body, and they wrap him in these kind of like bandage-like things, but they use all of these spices in there and mix it in there. And the reason they did this was so that the body, as it decayed, wouldn't smell too bad. But what happens is that as they wrap the body and then leave it for a few days, what happens to moisturizers and, and scents and, and myrrhs? Well, they start to harden, right? They harden. And so there's almost like this cocoon that is wrapped around Jesus' body, these wrappings, this cocoon, was called the grave clothes. And this was proof that Jesus' body could not have been stolen. Because on resurrection day, Peter and John come into the empty tomb, and what they find are, are empty grave clothes. And the grave clothes, it says, were not on a puddle on the floor, because, because that couldn't have happened. They were laying and the scripture actually says that they were laying, meaning laying precisely as the body had laid in them. You see, Jesus' body was gone on Resurrection Sunday, but that encrusted grave clothes, they were still there. Sure, they would have shrunk down a little bit because it had only been a few days of the, of the um, hardening process of the, the aloes and the moisturizers. But this was proof because, you see, if you were to take a body out of the grave clothes, you actually had to cut the grave clothes off. You had to cut them out of there. You couldn't just, like, drag and just, like, pull the body out. You actually had to cut it from top to bottom or bottom to top. But that's not what happened with Jesus. Those disciples went in that tomb, and those grave clothes were empty. He was gone. He was resurrected. Nobody had to cut him out of the grave. He resurrected from the grave in order that we could defeat, he could defeat sin for every single one of us. And Jesus is saying to you tonight, he's saying to you today, take off the grave clothes. It is time. It's time for you to let go of the old. It's time for you to take off the grave clothes. And so I want you to say that with me. I'm going to say it, and you're going to say it. Take off the grave clothes. Say it again. Take off the grave clothes. Say it again. Take off my grave clothes. That's right, church. Take off those grave clothes right? That flannel is gone. I don't want to wear that anymore.
anymore. I want to be free in Jesus because he takes off the old to give me something new. He gives me freedom. And when I let go of the old, that's when I am free to share the gospel, to share the love and the goodness of God. You see, this is what happens when we take off the grave clothes. And man, maybe you've never heard that before until tonight. I hope that that has pierced your heart and you are saying, yes, God. Yes, God, I want that. I want that freedom. I don't want to be bound in that old anymore. I want new, new life with you, newness with you. You see, the other thing that happens is that when we are free, when we're no longer in a grave, in a tomb, bound, then we're free to love the people that are around us. And I have a question for you, and this is a little bit of a hard question, a little bit of a trick question, but who are the people that you generally invite into your home? Friends, family, people that you like right? That's who I invite to my house. People that I like. People that like me. (laughs) My kids, right? Those are the kinds of people that we invite into our home. But you see, when we're free, when we come out of those grave clothes, Jesus is saying, I want more from you. I want you to go love your enemy. Because it's easy to love the people that love you. It's easy to love the people that are easy to have over for supper because you play games together and you connect together really easily. But go love your enemy. Go love the person in your life that's difficult to love. And we can all think of somebody. Go love the person who doesn't look like you. Go love somebody who's different than you are. That's what he means by loving our enemy, is to go and love somebody who's different. And when you are walking in freedom, you now have that power to be able to go and to love authentically. My friend Michelle um, is a new mom. Her daughter is a year old. And uh, when she first uh, became a mom, she was pretty overwhelmed. And she could have just stayed at home, stayed safe on her couch. She would have had a million reasons why, but she didn't. She focused on her, uh, her desire to love people instead of her struggle. Let's watch this video. New motherhood was a rush of love and joy, just like everyone tells you about. Followed by a crushing sense of isolation and loneliness, even though you're never alone. And it wasn't long before I figured out that there's really no support out there for new moms. No one to chat with, no one to look to for help, no resources. Uh, And for me, I figured I couldn't be the only one out there. I couldn't be the only one feeling like this. So I decided to start a small group on Facebook with the intent of actually physically meeting up with women and chatting about real life, Um, being involved, doing life with them, and actually getting to know these women to build a support community. And I reached out to some of the ladies from my prenatal classes and from my prenatal yoga. And the first meetup was actually right here uh, in my house. And I, we all sat on the floor with our little blobs of joy because they were pretty young at that age and um, not doing a whole lot. And we talked about our birth stories. We talked about 
um, the sleep that we weren't getting, uh, the sleep that our kids weren't getting, and the help from our husbands or lack thereof, you know, the stuff that no one really talks about, uh, we were able to connect on a deeper level. And I really just enjoyed having them here, having that real interaction, having other moms to connect with and build community. And speaking of building community, we grew from just over 10 people in the first couple of weeks um, to 86 moms right now and their children. So that's um, close to about 200 uh, people if you include the kids, which is amazing. And uh, this, this group has been such a joy for me, has brought me so much. Uh, having that community to relate with, having um, people to check in on and to, to check in on me and just to do real life with, to watch those mothers grow and develop and their kids grow and develop um, and just to love them right where they are and in turn learn to love myself right where I am, mess and all, uh, has been an amazing adventure and I look forward to the future growth of our community. I just love that. When she was loving other people, she was able to love herself, right? And just by, by getting off the couch, by taking a bold step, she now has over 80 moms that are gathering together and being a support, and I just love that. She's not living in grave clothes. She's not living in a tomb where there's death and stink. She's living free, that girl. And she is sharing the gospel and the love of God with other people. And I just love it. Well, we're going to go to our third temptation. And this one, we're going to go to verse 9 of our passage. So this is Luke 4, verse 9. So the, the devil led him, Jesus, to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift up, they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all of this tempting, he left him for a more opportune time. You see, in this temptation, Satan wanted to distract Jesus into thinking that he was greater than God, that he was better than God, higher than God. And for us, we distract ourselves by putting stuff in place of God, right? We think that we know better than God. And, and for us, this temptation is all about materialism. You see, materialism is this overriding quest of wealth and status and possessions. And it's about the lust of the eyes. And it's about buying and collecting and piling up as much stuff from Stuff Mart as we possibly can, thinking that it's going to feed the longing, the longing to belonging. And so we just keep piling up stuff so that we can keep up with our neighbors or this, this unrealistic idea of what we think we need in order to be happy, to go on extravagant vacations, to drive fancy cars, to live in a show home, right? We put all of these things above God 
and oh, I get it, and I repent of this. In North America, we are infatuated with materialism. And what does Jesus do? He responds again with scripture. And he says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy 6.16, don't test God. Don't put other things before him. Don't make him last on your list. Don't make materialism your focus or your distraction. And you see, living happy, what living happy says, it says, awake, get off the couch. And in Ephesians 5.14, it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. You see, the light wins. Darkness will never win because God is greater. We're going to try something right here. And so for, for the kids that are here, it's going to get dark uh, just for a second. But I want you just to see something. So if you can turn the lights out. So the darkness, the Bible says, is the evil one, right? The darkness is Satan. And God is light. So we can see the darkness. But now let's see the light. Turn on the light. Turn on the light. God is light. Now, if I was to say, turn on the darkness, what would they do? Well, well, they can't. There is no switch to turn on darkness. You have to turn off light. So do you see where I'm going? God always wins. The light always wins. The light is more powerful. So when we ask the light to come into our lives and to shine into our lives, the darkness cannot overtake us. Say that. The darkness cannot overtake me. The darkness cannot overtake me. It just can't because the light wins. The light is greater. And greater is he who lives in me than he who lives in the world. And who is of the world? Darkness. But God is light. And he shines his light into you. And he is more powerful. He overcomes. You see, we can't do this on our own. We can't fight temptation on our own. But we can do exactly what Jesus did. In Luke 4.1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. You see, Jesus didn't face the wilderness on his own. He had the Holy Spirit alive and powerful and a light switch turned on. There was no darkness there was fully God to be able to conquer those temptations that would come against him because he had the Holy Spirit. And church, you have the Holy Spirit. If you have asked God into your life and have said, Holy Spirit, come, live inside me, be present, then you need to say, turn on the light, God. Turn on the light in my heart. I need to repent of my sin. I need to repent that all of these temptations have come and that I have fallen for them. They're like holes in the ground and I've tripped and I've fallen. And Jesus says, yes, but I am light. And so I'm going to shine my light in that darkness. I'm going to pull you up out of that pit and you get to go again. Because Holy Spirit is going to give you the power to resist temptation. You will never be able to do it on your own. And you don't have to. Isn't that so fantastic? You don't have to. You have the Holy Spirit. And you also have community church. And it is so important 
that you are in community with other believers, that the people around you can say, hey, I see you're a little off track here. I see that maybe we need some course correction in this. But if your only interaction with, with, with the bride of Christ is one hour a week when you're engaging in an online church, which is fantastic. I love our online church. But if that was the only meal that you had, imagine how weary and tired and exhausted you would be by the end of the week. Church, we need each other. We need community. We need to be rubbing shoulders with each other. Well, sorry, six feet apart, socially distant uh, rubbing shoulders, figuratively with each other. We need to be engaged in what the church is engaged in. We need to be invested. We need to be aligned with our local church. So wherever you are watching, be aligned, engaged, invested, planted, rooted in your local church. Go to the Bible studies. Take your kids to the pop-up in the park. Bring your daughters to our girls' Bible study. Get invested in God. He wants to turn the light on in your life. And you know, church, through COVID, so many prayer groups that I was a part of, we prayed for a revival. We prayed that there would be a harvest of salvations to come out of COVID. But if we're laying on our couch asleep and we have no voice because we're snoring, how are those souls going to come to know Jesus? How are they ever going to know about the love of God? They're going to know when they meet you and you start to tell them, I'm different. I'm different because the light is on inside of me. I'm different because God has transformed me. I'm different because I come out of that grave and I'm not wearing those grave clothes ever again. I'm different. And you know what that does? Helps them to see they can be different too. It inspires. Michelle inspires me. We inspire each other. So church, awake. Come out. Get your voice back. God has given you a voice to share the gospel. Go and make disciples of every nation. Of every nation. So, I feel like we need to take this step forward as a community, and I'm going to ask if you would respond with me, and I want you to see if you will come out of that grave, if you feel like there is something that's just been tying you up and holding you back, and, and you just need it gone, we need to pray that tonight. We need to come out of those graves. We need to come off of that couch. We need to fight temptation with the Word of God, and that means we need to know the Word of God. So if you uh, have never uh, asked Jesus into your heart, I'm going to start with a prayer for that first. And um, I would just want to ask if everybody would just close their eyes. Let's just close our eyes together and let's just invite God's presence again into our hearts, into this space. And if you haven't asked Jesus into your life, I just want you to repeat this after me. I believe in the Trinity of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God, I know that I've made so many mistakes in my past, in my present, and that I will in my future. But I believe in you, Jesus. I believe in you now. 
that you are fully God and fully man, and that you defeated death and were resurrected to life for all of my mistakes. And so, Jesus, I repent. I repent of my mistakes, and I ask that you forgive me. And Jesus, because you are so good and you give gifts, I ask that you would give me your Holy Spirit. I need you. I need you, God. I don't want to walk in the wilderness one more second without you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen. And if you're connected with us online, we have a button there we'd love for you to, to click and to respond to. And, and don't just turn off the service today and think, oh, I'll tell somebody about it later. Connect with us today. And if you're here in this room and you ask Jesus into your heart, please tell somebody, come. We want to walk through life with God with you. And now for the rest of us, if you've had God in your heart for a while, I'm going to ask if you want to respond, if you would stand with me. And if you stand, this is like saying, yep, yep, God, I'm all in. I'm fully in. I don't want anything holding me back. So I just want you to follow along with this prayer. Jesus, we want more of you. We want to fully rely on you. We want you to walk us out of temptation, Lord God. We want you to break away the old habits, the lazy laziness, the lazy thoughts, the complacency. Lord God, shift our hearts, shift the atmosphere in our hearts. Because when we say the name of Jesus, Fear must leave. And so we say the name of Jesus and fear you go out of here. And when we say the name of Jesus, shame must leave. And we say Jesus and shame you get out of here. And when we say Jesus, complacency must leave. And so we say Jesus, complacency you get out of here. We will have no more of you in this house. We will have no more of you, Satan, in our hearts. Holy Spirit, fill us. Pour out your fire upon us right now, Lord God. Anoint us with your oil, Lord Jesus. We need a baptism of your spirit, Lord God. We need more of you. Break the chains that are upon this church, Lord God. Break us free from the tomb. Break us free from old thoughts and from death. And take those grave clothes and burn them up, Lord Jesus. This Holy Spirit, we need more of you. More of you, God. We're so desperate for you, Jesus. Come and have your way in our hearts. We surrender all of it to you. All of the distractions, all the temptations, all the materialism, all the less, Lord God. We surrender it to you. And we know, Holy Spirit, that with your baptism, we have the power to be able to fight temptation. Jesus, give us a new desire for your word, that we would hunger and thirst after it like real food. Every single day, we just couldn't get enough of your word. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And help us love each other the way you love us. So radical. Thank you, God. In your name, amen.